Hey there, welcome to the FBCA College Podcast. My name is Connor Torrialba, and I'm the college minister here at First Baptist Church Arlington. Well, this is our first episode, so I wanted to give you some insight on what to expect. Every week, our college ministry meets on Thursday at 7.30 for worship and Bible study. During the service, we have a teaching time. And starting this semester, we're recording those teaching times and going to be posting them here for you to catch up on or review. Most of the time, it's me teaching, but we'll have some great guest speakers coming up as well. Each episode, I'll give a bit of context for the lesson, and then we'll cut over to the recording. For this week, we're starting with the second lesson in our fall 2023 series on fruitfulness. The first week, we defined fruitfulness as faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth. This week, we're exploring that further by looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. I hope you enjoy the lesson and find it helpful for your spiritual walk. My alarm went off at 6 a.m. on Tuesday, and that was on purpose. I wasn't just like, oops, set it for six, um, because I wanted to get up early because it's been so dang hot outside. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Um, amen. One of the things that I love so much is being at the park and sitting on a park bench and talking with God. And honestly, this heat has been so oppressive that it's been a really good excuse to not take that time. I've been having quiet times, you know, in my office or at home, but I haven't gone to the park for some unhurried time. So the alarm went off at six and I turned it off, <laughs> got up, got dressed, packed up my bags for work and everything because I was planning on coming here right after and drove, listened to some music, got a coffee on the way from a gas station, parked at River Legacy, and then walked over to one of my favorite park benches there. It's over looking over a lake. And as I was walking up, I wasn't listening to any music or anything like that, just kind of walking in silence because there was just a hunger within my heart for the presence of God. I've been missing that, um, to be honest. Just haven't taken that unhurried time with him in a while. It's been so busy, right? We've had a busy first two weeks of the college ministry and it was about to be dollar steak night. And I was like, I need some time with God. So I was walking up in silence and I was hoping that the park bench was unoccupied but then I realized it's 6 a.m., no one's gonna be there, um, I'll be there. So I walk up and as I'm seeing the sunrise over the lake, I'm just remarking at just the idea that this is a unique moment. No two sunrises are ever the same. And it was almost like God had created a work of art for me to see that morning, just him and me. And so I sat down on the bench, took a deep breath, and just started praying. I was praying for me, I was praying for patience, my wife, and I was praying for y'all. Just praying over this semester and how things were going. And as I was praying, I heard a noise, right? I'm not listening to any music. And I just hear a grasshopper just go into town right off the side over here. Because uh, it's still summer-ish, right? So you kind of have those summer sounds of insects and birds and everything like that. Um, and at first I was a little annoyed. By it. I was like, okay, do I put my earbuds in and turn on noise canceling and just do some like vibey worship music or something? But as I sit there and listen to it, I heard birds singing, other animals rustling around in the park and just kind of looking out around me. And a thought came to my mind, uh, I think from the spirit. It was simply this, this grasshopper 
as simple as it is, is probably more authentically worshiping God every day than I do. I'm taking some time here to to be with God, and he was reminding me that, hey, just my creation in and of itself worships me every day. Because it's doing what it was made to do. Just by existing, by going through its instincts that God had given it, its instincts worship God. There is a song that I thought was a little bit annoying. Uh, but a grasshopper doesn't have some grand design. It doesn't have some big aspirations that it's trying to do. It says, well, I'm not just going to be any grasshopper. I'm going to be a different kind of grasshopper. No, it doesn't. It just sings the song. And it's a very simple song. God created the grasshopper to chirp in the way that it did, and the birds to sing, and they do it naturally, right? It's not something that they have to set aside schedule and make sure that they have time to chirp or sing their song. It's just something that happens. And for creation, the worship of God is a natural fruit that flows from living in alignment with its created purpose. That's what we see in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God is what scripture says, and I think a sunrise summer field sings of his simple majesty. There's something beautiful about it when you just take some time get up a little bit earlier and spend some time with him. If you recall, we're in a series right now, we've started up called Fruitfulness, right? We're talking about what does it mean to live a fruitful Christian life? Not a successful life, not a life of achievement or something like that, but a fruitful one. It's a holistic, holy, healthy kind of lifestyle. Um, Today, we're talking about being known by God and knowing him um, and as a reminder of kind of what we're talking about when it comes to fruitfulness, we talked about the definition of fruitfulness last week. You're going to see it every week. We're saying fruitfulness is simply this. It's faithful obedience and patient trust in God for growth. If you abide by that definition and live that out, I believe scripture says that you will have a fruitful life, faithfully obeying God and patiently trusting in him to bring growth. Last week, we were in Mark chapter uh, 4 on the parable of the growing seed, if you want to read over that again. But our key passage for today, and our big idea, our key passage is Matthew 7, 13 through 23. But our big idea is that we are, um, that, that we are rightly fruitful when we are in alignment with our created purpose. We're rightly fruitful when we are in alignment with our creative purpose. So if you can, turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through uh, 23, and we'll get started. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage for us real quick, and then we'll dive into it a little bit more. It says this. Uh, Where am I? I found it. There it is. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That passage is, I think, immediately convicting in so many ways. But before we dive into it immediately, uh, I want to talk about the context of it. It's within the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever given, and probably one of the most famous speeches ever given in the history of mankind. And within it, Jesus does some pretty remarkable things. If you read over it, it really starts in Matthew chapter 5. What Jesus continually does at each little section of that sermon is raise the bar. Raise the bar for what it means to be a righteous person. He shows that if you hate somebody, that's equal to murder. It's not just that, oh, well, I just don't really like them and I I hate them inwardly, but I'm never going to do anything to them. Jesus says, you've already murdered them in your heart. Jesus says that just lusting after a person is committing adultery. Committed adultery in your heart, and that's sin. Jesus says that you've got to love your enemy. Jesus says that you've got to be secretly generous, not just generous in a way that gets you praise from people because of how you're giving. And Jesus says that we have to pray with radical humility, and so on and so forth in the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much that he talks about. And I would encourage you this week, if you're not sure what to read for your quiet times, If you're not already in our daily Bible readings for the church, man, jump into Matthew chapter 5 and read the Sermon on the Mount. But our text today, in particular, it starts with the narrow and the wide gate. Matthew 7 is kind of this conclusion of the sermon. He's talked about a lot of these different things, and now he kind of says, man, how do you get to God? Well, he says there's, there's like two ways to go in life. There's a wide gate and a narrow gate. The wide gate is easy to find. It's the default. It's kind of how we all walk through this life. You can bring all your stuff and not change. You do you. Live your best life. But there's a danger to it. Jesus says that this road, living your best life in your own terms, leads to destruction. It's dangerous. The narrow gate, on the other hand, he says, is harder to find. There's a challenge to get even, to even get through it. Why is that? Well, I think it's because you got to leave your stuff behind. It really only fits you. Nothing else. you got to give your heart up to God. It also requires you to change. And I don't like that. We don't like changing our own status quo. We don't like when the temperature is off in our apartment or dorm, right? We want it to be at the comfortable temperature. But we don't like change. We don't like those things. And it's hard to get into it. And I think that we have an immediate illustration for something like a narrow and wide gate when it comes to diet and exercise. We all know what we're supposed to do, diet and exercise. It'll be good for you. But it's easier to not. It's easier to eat whatever you want to eat, lay on the couch all day, and go through life. And that's the easy decision that you can make every day, and one that I make too often. But in making that decision, we know that eventually you're more likely for heart disease, or for diabetes, or all these other sicknesses that we can get. It's a wide path, it's easy to walk down, but it'll eventually lead to our own destruction. Another example that we're all probably familiar with is smoking, right? 
we know that, yeah, it's one cigarette here, another cigarette here. Eventually, you build a habit, and then that leads to lung disease. It leads to destruction. The things that we sow in this life will eventually lead towards either our fruitfulness or our destruction. So Jesus says there's a wide gate and a narrow gate. We know about these things as it relates to our physical health, but do we know it about our spiritual health? Do we take those decisions to be disciplined on a spiritual level? Jesus is calling us to it. He's calling us to follow him through the narrow gate. What's interesting, though, if you look at the passage, we have the wide gate, narrow gate, and then he talks about false teachers. And it can kind of feel a little bit like a non sequitur, like suddenly a change into a different topic. Why does he do that? Why does he shift here in verse 15? Well, I think what he's fundamentally getting at is this. It's that false teachers and bad influences will encourage you towards the wide gate. It's easy to find. You can find a lot of people who will encourage you towards the wide gate, the road that leads to destruction. False teachers or bad influences will say things like, you don't have to change. Or, that sin isn't really a big deal, or it's not even a sin in the first place. Actually, that's fine to do, even if Scripture says otherwise. Or, essentially what they're saying is, did God really say, fill in the blank, is that really what God meant, which is literally the oldest lie in this book, right? But we got to stay on our guard. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because these are things that we want to hear. Deep down inside, we want to just be told, hey, it's fine. You're good. We've got a problem. We've got to change. We've got to be willing to follow Christ. So how do we stay on our guard? Well, he says to examine the fruit of these influences, these people. But what is fruit? Well, one thing we know that it's not, according to later in this passage, in particular verses 21 through 23, is that it's not success. Jesus isn't saying, look for the flashiest ministry. And he's not saying, look for the person who's cast out like a demon. Like, that's probably a super holy person. Right? Because the things that he's even talking about in verses 21 and 23, hey, I'm a pastor, minister person. I've never done that. I've never cast out a demon. Just confession time. I've never done it. Um, I've never done a miracle. I've never prophesied the future. And these people here, he's saying, like, you could even do those things, and you could be that successful in your spiritual walk. And if you're not rooted in Christ, it kind of doesn't count. It's just an action at that point. It's success, sure, but is it fruit? Is it a fruitful life like he's talking about? So fruit is more, based on what we've seen here, it's more than some outwardly noticeable good work. If we're going to live a fruitful life, it's more than those things. It's more than achievement, what we talked about last week. So, again, what is fruit? I think you can pretty easily sum it up by saying that fruit is the end result of what is planted. Fruit's the end result of what is planted. Has anybody ever seen an apple seed? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they're like little, those little brown speck or something, you know? You, if you really know it's an apple seed, like you could probably identify it just by seeing it. But there's a lot of seeds out there, and probably, unless you're like a botany major or something, you don't know what this little brown speck is going to plant and grow into. Until you see the fruit. 
fruit to plant that seed in the ground, give it some time, and then eventually a fruit appears, you can say, oh, it was an orange tree, or oh, it's a grapevine, or oh, it's fill in the blank, right? Maybe you can't always tell based on what the seed is what the fruit will be, but the fruit is always the telltale sign of what the plant is, what has been planted. And again, that example of smoking. A cigarette in and of itself is not lung disease, but that is the fruit of it at the end. And this is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to examining the fruit of potential teachers or potential people that we will follow in this life and listen to. The fruit of their lives will tell you the content of their character. And the same applies to us. And us as a community, looking at one another and leaning on one another. The cardinal rule that Jesus is giving us is this. Plants produce fruit in kind. Apple trees produce apples. Grapevines produce grapes. A good tree, as he says in the passage, produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. Seems simple, seems obvious. But let's dive into that a little bit. So if fruit isn't just achievement, and if it matters this much to Jesus, then how do we know if we're a good tree or a bad tree? How do you know where we stand? Let's start with the bad news first, with the bad version first. Let's talk about the bad tree. I want us to think about this in a certain way, though. When we talk about good and bad here, I want us to think about things in terms of a diagnosis versus a value judgment. There's a difference between that. If you have, if you have, we all have kidneys, right? Yeah, hopefully. My friend's room's kidneys. Um, if your kidneys are not filtering your blood, they're not functioning, we could probably say safely that you have bad kidneys. It's not a value statement on you. You're loved by God, regardless of the status of your kidneys, but you can still have bad kidneys, right? It's bad because it's not doing what it was made to do. It's not functioning along with its design. It may still be a kidney, but there's something wrong. And a bad tree is simply a tree that isn't doing what it was designed to do, according to this passage here. If we saw an apple tree, for example, producing walnuts, we would probably rightly assess that there's something jacked up with that apple tree, or it's not really an apple tree. It's something else, perhaps a walnut tree. What would make us like a bad tree then? Well, simply put, it's not living in alignment with your created purpose. It's when you choose your own way your own desires, your own sinful inclinations over what God has said is right and good. It's when you choose to hate or when you choose to lust or when you choose to be prideful and put yourself first. It's when you choose to uh, not be loving to that person next to you. It's important. It's not living in line with our created purpose. Well, what is our created purpose then? I think we kind of see that as we talk about maybe the good tree. I want you to look at verse 23. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, depart from me, you didn't cast out enough demons. 
you weren't fruitful enough. If you had done like two more miracles, then maybe we'd talk, right? He doesn't say that. What does he say? What's the problem that he highlights? Anybody? A lawbreaker, yes. But what else? He doesn't know. I never knew you. I don't know you. That's the heart of the problem here. The problem is that these people, regardless of their outward success, have no real relationship with Jesus. Our created purpose, then, is this. It's to know God, to worship him, and to love others. Jesus says in John that we, everybody will know we are his disciples by how we love one another. It's a telltale sign. Just as much as you can tell what tree that is based on that apple on the branch, loving one another is the telltale sign of a Christian, of a true follower of Jesus. Your created purpose is not just to do good works or be kind to people. Those are good things to do. But if we don't know Jesus, then those good things to do are just actions. Jesus isn't looking for actions. He's looking for hearts that are connected to him, fundamentally. John 15.5 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do some things without me. No, that's not what it says, right? Jack, if you're paying attention. He says, because you can do nothing without me. You can't do anything without him. Here's the thing. We're talking about what does it mean to be the good tree? Here's the twist. None of us are the good tree. And you never will be. Jesus is the good tree. The good tree is the one preaching to us here in this passage right now. Your role and my role is to be connected to him. Within agriculture, there is this practice called grafting. Now again, I said last week that I am not a botany guy, and now we're doing a whole series on fruitfulness. I'm learning so much about plants. Here's the gist of what grafting is. You cut off a little bit of one plant, and you kind of like tie it to the other plant in a, such a way of making a little incision, and eventually that branch grows into the host plant and then is able to produce more fruit or brings along benefits to it. It gets benefits from being connected to that trunk of the tree. Jesus, uh, Paul actually uses this exact same example in Romans chapter 11 when he talks about outsiders coming into the family of God. We're grafted into it. According to Jesus, unless we are connected to him, we cannot produce fruit, let alone good fruit. We can do nothing without him. But here's the good news. The flip side is also true. If we're connected to him and in tune with him, on a regular basis, we will produce good fruit. Because he's the good tree, and he produces good fruit. And if we're connected to him, we will too. There's something powerful about spending some unhurried time with God. Have you ever done it? It's worthwhile. Sitting in his presence, right? I talked about that at the very beginning, the song of the grasshopper and everything. Um, that was me taking some time with God. I'm not some super Christian. It wasn't some incredible, crazy, holy moment. But it was me simply saying, okay, I'm going to set aside some time. I'm going to wake up a bit earlier. 
You go to the park and just sit. No agenda, no specific questions that I had of God. I just wanted to sit there with God and talk to him about what I was seeing, what I was feeling, what I was going through, what I was thinking about. Just as if you had a loving father that you could go and just sit with. Maybe for some of you, that's a reality you've never experienced. But you can with God. He loves you. He cares about you. I don't know about you, but I can often find myself striving. Trying to do a little bit better. Just a little bit more. And it's good. It's, it's, it's good to want to improve. But what I really need to do, we all really need to do, is rest in God's presence and allow him to fill us up and then lead us into entering the world on his behalf. It's resting in him. It's nuts, guys. Like It's absolutely worthwhile studying scripture and reading your Bible and going through the commentaries and all of that. That's a, that's a way to read scripture. But there's also just something powerful about sitting there and saying, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to speak to me? Speak to me through your word. I read through Romans chapter 5 while I was there on the park bench. It wasn't me just sitting there in my thoughts. Because my thoughts can lead me astray. But there, sitting there reading that passage, looking at the world around me, reveling in God's presence, I felt refreshed. There was just something about it. And I would challenge you to embrace that. Try it out. This works because when we connect ourselves to Jesus, he flows through us into fruitfulness. When I'm connected to Jesus, I'm motivated by his love to obey faithfully. When I'm connected to Jesus, I'm confident in his character enough to patiently trust. When we're connected to Jesus, the fruit we produce cannot be bad because it isn't sourced in us. It's sourced in him. And that's relieving, isn't it? We can, take a, we can take a rest. I'm not saying don't change. What I'm saying is lay it down. Submit. Stop striving. And sit with God. Sit with God. Take a break. Next week, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1, and in particular, God's design for fruitfulness. And as I said last week, if you look for just the illustration of fruit and fruitfulness, it is throughout the entire Bible. It is like God's favorite illustration for what it means to live a good life. But in the beginning, there's a little bit of a spoiler alert, God creates something, he speaks it into existence, and then he pronounces it good, right? And that's not a value judgment, like we said. It's really just a pronouncement of it working according to his plan. The sun is rising, good. I wanted it to do that. <laughs> that's what he meant by that. Um, we may face storms and trials, and the road may be narrow. But as long as your heart is devoted to Jesus, the fruit you produce from a time in relationship with him will be in line with God's purpose and therefore good. Take a rest in him. It may not be what you expect, but if it's from Jesus, it will never be counter to his goodness. And we can rest in that. As we kind of conclude, I want us to look in particular just again at this passage, because it can be, on the whole, a pretty sobering one. It's really a passage that says, hey, check yourself. What's going on? Especially verses 23 and verse 19. 
right? Verse 19, if you look at it, it kind of almost feels like a threat, for being honest. Kind of a be productive or else. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. During the whole Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is showing that we cannot meet the standard. We can't do it. We can't be the good tree. We can't produce the fruit in line with a heart that's fully repented without repenting and, and trusting in him. So we cannot produce good fruit without a good heart, and no one has a good heart on their own. So Jesus is talking about through this whole sermon. It's not something that you can achieve, and therefore we stand condemned unless somebody else steps in, which is what Jesus is pointing to the whole time. He's holding up a mirror and saying, y'all have a problem you can't fix, but I'm the good tree. I can fix it. As we said, God made everything good at the start, but we can look around in our world and see that it's not good right now. We live in unprecedented times of hardship and disease and wars, fires. This world's broken. We can all see it. And it's broken because humanity decided to go its own way. To say, maybe I can be fruitful on my own. Maybe if I try my own way, this will work out. We decided to make that choice, and then the world broke. And we try all sorts of things to get out of that, but it just leads us more into brokenness. That rebellion is sin. That's what the Bible defines it as. Sin is simply anything that is counter to what God has said in his word. It's wrong thoughts, it's wrong actions, it's inaction, and we should be acting on his will. We're a bunch of trees that cannot produce good fruit because we choose to do our own thing. So Jesus came. He came to be the good tree and show us what it means to live a life that is connected to God, the kind of fruit that can be possible through it. He took all the sin, the things that we've done wrong, on purpose, inadvertently, took all of that. He died on a cross, paying the penalty for sin. He actually entered into that fire in verse 19 so that we, you and I wouldn't have to face that. He faced the penalty of it. And now, he presents to you tonight the narrow gate. It's not an easy decision, but he says, will you connect with me? Will you turn your life over to me? You can't bring your stuff with you. But his way is better. Again, that narrow gate really just fits you. It really just fits your heart. Are you willing to give it up tonight? To give it over to him and put your trust in him? Because that's all he really wants. He really just wants you. Not your achievements. Not your good works. Not your success, your status, your grades, your family. He wants you. He wants to graft you into himself and into his family. And when you do that, like Jesus, you too one day will rise from the grave. Death will not have victory over you. But here in this life, you can produce fruit through connection with him. And that good fruit is explained in the Bible as it's love, it's joy, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. These are the things that come from a life connected 
to Jesus. We can get back to our created purpose and enjoy life as it was meant to be lived, connected to God and extending his love into the world. Not for some achievement or success, but as a byproduct of a heart loved by the king of the universe. And like the grasshopper, our song can come from our hearts rather than obligation. So what do you do tonight? You have a challenge and a question. A challenge is this. Here's what I'll say. We're coming up on a holiday weekend. You probably have an extra hour coming up this weekend to spend some unhurried time with God. I challenge you to do that. Don't time it out and say, okay, I'm giving God one hour. Just give God some time. Maybe put your phone away. Maybe put your watch away for a minute and just sit with him. You got some extra time this week. So spend some unhurried time with him. That's my challenge to you from this night. And the question is this, what is your response to the word? We're asking this every week. How will you respond to what has been talked about? Maybe you need to turn your life over to Jesus. You've never done that before. You have questions about what that means. Let's talk. There are people here in this room that are leadership students or memory or myself. We would love to talk to you about what it means to turn your life over to God and walk through that narrow gate and live a fruitful life in line with God. It's worthwhile. It's worth leaving your stuff behind. His way is so much better. Maybe you need to examine your connectedness to Christ. Maybe in the midst of these past two weeks of starting school, it's already been so hectic and you feel a little disconnected. Maybe you just need to get back on that. Jump into some unhurried time. Or maybe you need to encourage someone. You know somebody that's a bit withered. <laughs> and you actually encourage them and say, hey, God loves you, he cares about you. Maybe there's somebody that you need to reach out to and be a light and a friend to. But here, let's stand for a moment. Uh, trip if you'll play for a bit. Let's get into groups of three and just kind of discuss for a moment our question. What is your response to the, uh, to the word tonight? I'm going to pray. We'll go into some light music and discuss this for a few minutes, and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, uh, you came as the good tree. Lord, not to make us good trees, but to connect us to you. Or apart from you, we can do nothing. So Lord, forgive us for the times when we strive. Father, I pray that this place here, these students here, um, will connect their lives to you. They would choose you over themselves, God. And they would live a full life in line with you. Bless these conversations. In your name I pray. 